Uh, well, good morning. Uh, I'm back at work today. We've just come back from a holiday. Uh, this very last week, we headed out to Max Cove, which is out past Bonnie Doon. And I think it's uh, beholden for Australians when they go out to Bonnie Doon to sing the song. Uh, we're going to Bonnie Doon. And it continues from the castle. I was reminded of that film as we went out there. And then on the way back home, uh, we'd had a great time up at Jamison River. Uh, I saw an automotive sign, a sign at a mechanics. It was the Kerrigan Automotives, which of course is the name of the family from the castle. And yes, we did watch it. We thought we'll take that sign as a sign and watch the castle again. And it's a story about, at its heart, uh, a family who faces injustice. I love this scene. Uh, what has happened is uh, this family, the Kerrigan family, live in a very modest home, right next door to the airport, under power lines. It's not worth much financially, but it's where they've made their home. As Daryl points out, it's a house, not a home. But Airlink, a federal, federal authority, has compulsor, compulsorily acquired the land. They've taken it away. And Daryl appeals to the tribunal, the Administrative Appeals Tribunal. Uh, he says, it's not right. It's the law of bloody common sense, he says, <laughs> uh, because he's asked, what is his case in law? Daryl says, I know sometimes what is right and fair is not clear-cut. It's a bit iffy, but this is not iffy. He doesn't know how to deal with this injustice. He doesn't have the means to deal with it. He doesn't have the legal means. He knows what's right, but he doesn't know what to do. This can happen to us, can't it? We find ourselves in a place where we're treated unjustly. It might be at work and ambitious people who care less about what is right and just might push us to the side. It could be at school. That's what bullies uh, take advantage of when, when teachers are not actually making sure justice happens. It could be in a family situation. There are grievances and people aren't acting as they ought and we don't know what to do about that. How do you act justly when members of your family are not, not? Or maybe it's something much harder, something deeply personal. We've been hurt. We know we're in the right, but people have done us wrong. What do you do? Uh, you call out for God. That's what David does. That's why he wrote Psalm 17. You'll notice throughout the Psalms, there's often a little note that says a Psalm of David, or it might give us a little bit of the context this one specifically says a prayer of David. It's a psalm, it's a song in a book of songs, but it would seem to have first been a prayer. David has written out a prayer to God when he has faced injustice. And as we read the prayer, we'll see it, it's not merely a tool to help us pray when we face injustice. It is that. Psalms are, are there for us to speak to God, to, to learn how to cry out to him. But as we read the content of the psalm, we'll see it gives us a purpose, a motivation, a reason to pray. We can be assured that God hears our prayers. This psalm will encourage us to cry for justice, to cry out for justice. Now, we don't know what the particular injustice David is facing. There's a couple of things it might have been because we know quite a bit about his life. Uh, from 1 Samuel 19, we know that he was quite a successful successful commander in Saul's army, and Saul became jealous of that. His popularity was growing, and Saul responded by trying to have David killed. He might have seen David as a threat. He was certainly jealous. 
Or it might not have been that. There's another time when a man named Nabal treats David and his men poorly. They've been on the run for Saul. They're protecting Nabal's land. They've actually looked out for him. Uh, and they seek some food. That's all they want. But he repays good with evil, as David says. Abigail steps in, Nabal's wife, and says to David, uh, maybe don't go ahead with this plan to draw your swords. Don't have this bloodshed on your conscience. And David listens. Maybe that's what led to this prayer. It wouldn't be the first time that a wise woman has spoken to a rash young man and guided him to a wiser course of action. We don't know exactly, but we have some ideas of what it might have been. Perhaps it's good that we don't know because it means we can take up this prayer as our own when we face injustice. And it is a cry for justice, isn't it? Verse 1, hear me, Lord, my plea is just. Listen to my cry. Hear my prayer. It does not rise from deceitful lips. We learn two things at the very start. First, David is confident his cause is right and just. And that matters because the second thing we learn is he's coming to God who is just. Just cares about, sorry, God cares about just causes. He's not merely asking for what he wants. He's asking for what he knows is right and that God will therefore care for. Verse 2, let my vindication come from you. May your eyes see what is right. And he doesn't presume to receive justice, does he? He knows he's got to ask God, even though his cause is right. He knows it won't just happen. It doesn't happen in this world, does it? We hope for justice, but it's not always there. So he asks God for help. We sometimes, when we see injustice, we ask, why doesn't God do something, don't we? Why doesn't God fix this? Or this isn't right, but do we actually turn that feeling into a prayer? Do we turn that feeling of anger or injustice into a prayer? That's what David does. He pleads his cause. And I love that he writes it out, not just because we know what it's about, but I imagine that helped him form his case before God. And this does have the nature of a court case, this psalm. It's, it's like as a person, uh, a citizen of Israel would come before a judge upholding the law of God. They would come before him and make their case. Uh, God upholds what is right and just. He's given them the commandments, do not steal, do not murder, honour God. David's approaching a, God, a judge he knows cares about justice. And so he puts his case as if in a court. Verse 3, though you probe my heart, though you examine me at night and test me, you will find that I have planned no evil. My mouth has not transgressed. Though people have tried to bribe me, I have kept myself from the waves of the violent. My steps have held to your paths. My feet have not stumbled. Now, I don't think here David is coming before God as one who has never stumbled, who has never fallen short of God's standards. He's written in Psalm 14 that there are none who do all that is good. There are none who do not fall short of God's standards. But the issue that God, David presents in this case, he knows he's walking in the right path of God. He's calling for what is true and right and just. And that's what we're called to do as Christians, to bring causes of justice before God, to pray for them, to pray for our friends, to pray for injustice when we see it in the world. This is part of our job description, if you like. We're meant to do this, but especially we're called to do this for ourselves. David is praying for justice for himself. That's a good 
thing to do. He doesn't grumble about it. He doesn't put it out on Twitter. He doesn't complain or write a letter to the editor or to his local member. Not that those are bad things to do. But this is an essential part of seeking justice for the Christian, is to pray about it. We need to act on it, but we also need to pray about it. I think of Jesus' parable in Luke 18. Do you remember that one? This is where the widow, who has no resources, being a widow, she comes before an unjust judge who we're told cares not about God nor about what people think. Yet she's persistent. All she's got is her, um, her diligence and persistence. She keeps annoying him. And though this judge doesn't change his character, he continues not to fear God or care about what people think, just because she keeps bothering him, parents will know what this feels like, uh, <laughs> he responds and gives her justice. And Jesus contrasts that with God. Imagine how much more God hears you. And he doesn't say in that parable, therefore pray. He presumes that people are. Rather, he says, he presumes we're praying continually for justice and he reminds us that he will not put it off for long. Now, that's important. We're called to cry out for justice, but also to understand it can feel a long way away. It can feel like it might never come. We might doubt that God cares. Well, it's important to remember David didn't write this prayer after everything got sorted out. He wrote it in his present experience of injustice. He wrote it in the midst of injustice. We need to pray for ourselves, our world. We need to cry out to God for justice. Well, that's one course of action we're called to do and this psalm reminds us to do. Of course, some people would say as a counter to that, uh, when we pray, it's what we do instead of doing something. I've got a cartoon that illustrates this was from last year when the bushfires were on. And as you can see, there's a man holding in one hand a bucket of thoughts and the other hand a bucket of prayers. They're said to be of not much practical use in the face of real issues. And of course, sending your thoughts and prayers can just be a platitude. And if it is just a platitude, the cartoon remains accurate. However, we need to remember David has taken action. This prayer is combined with action. He says in the psalm, he has held to God's path and done what is right. He has planned no evil. His mouth has not transgressed. Violence and bribery, we see, are options that he may have been able to take up. And unlike some who face injustice, he's got resources to deal with it. Unjust resources, they're at hand, but he doesn't take them up. He's acted justly. His adversaries have not. I think this is important because this is where David unpacks something we often face in the case of injustice. We pray, and this is why we pray, because it's not a level playing field. There are people he faces who don't seem to care much about justice. He says they close up their callous hearts and their mouths speak with arrogance. Uh, literally in Hebrew, it's fat hearts. Fat has grown around their hearts. We have a picture of people who have many resources, who are well resourced in this life. It is not a level playing field. This is what we see in the castle. As the, as the film unfolds, we see that Airlink isn't just a federal agency. It's, it's backed by a consortium with money who knows the people in the right places. It's a fictional movie, but it's not a fictional situation, is it? 
David, in referring to these people with callous, fat hearts, is reminding us how often it is unfair. Uh, Those who act unjustly often have the resources to do what is unjust, even under the cover of law. We face those who are less careful about the truth, those who are ready to speak out of context, things that aren't fair, or just simply lie in order to get their way. And God knows all this, doesn't he? But he wants us to open our hearts to him. And I think this is the heart of uh, the psalm. When we feel powerless, we approach one who is powerful. That's what David is doing. He calls out his adversaries and what they're doing, what is unfair. He calls out their power to God, but he comes to the one who is powerful, and not just powerful, but who is just and who loves us. He wants us to cry out to God knowing that he is just and he loves us and he will hear our prayer. Verses 6 and 7, David reminds us how confident he is. I call on you, my God, for you will answer me. Turn your ear and hear my prayer. Show me the wonders of your great love, you who saved me by your right hand, those who take ref- you who saved by your right hand, those who take refuge from their foes. It's not just that God is just, that God is powerful, that God will listen, but that he loves David. That's why David uh, can pray to him. In one way, we might think that's a bit unfair. If we were in a court situation and we came before a judge who loved us, we might ask that they do us a favour. There's a great scene in uh, the castle where this happens. The policeman representing the law comes to Daryl and says, oh, some gates have gone missing who happen to belong uh, to an airlink uh, person. And Daryl says, no, no, I didn't take them. And the policeman says, can you say where you were last night? Oh, I was at home. Everyone in my house will tell you that. He says, Daryl, I'm not here to get you. I'm just saying you've got to be careful. And by the way, put the gates that you've got out the front around the back. David's not coming to God who loves him because he wants to get a favour, but because he knows God is both just and loving. In fact, it's this law court setting that many a preacher uses that illustration to explain how we approach God. You might know it. There's a, there's a man who goes to court, he's done what is wrong, and there before him is a judge who is a great old friend. And the judge, the old friend, looks and sees his, his friend. In this case, it's a cut and dried case. He's going to have to hand out a significant fine if he's going to uphold the law. He wants to care for his friend, but he's got to care about the law. So the judge puts the fine down. He, he makes him pay the penalty. He says, you're going to have to pay. There's the penalty. That's what he does as judge, but he comes off his judge's seat and then sits next to the man and writes out a check to pay the fine. He comes down as a friend. So justice will happen, but so will grace and mercy. And, and it's an illustration of the mercy I've got, oh, by the way, if you're a bit younger, a check's kind of like a paper document <laughs> that you use. He would have transferred it on his app these days. But as a picture, of course, it's a greater penalty we face. We face the penalty of our own life. We fall short of a holy God. And so the act of love is even greater with Christ, and we'll remember it today in communion. He gives his life in place of us. He loves us. He will hear our prayer because he loves us. He sent his son his one and only son, that we would live. That's how much he loves us. 
David remembers this specifically when he prays. He knows it's important to remember this because it might feel like he doesn't at times when we face injustice. Verse 8, keep me as the apple of your eye. Literally, that's the heart of your eye, the pupil, what you would protect, what you would take extra care of. David being a warrior would know especially to take care of that part. And he says, hide me under the shadow of your wings. Like a young chick protecting its mother, an eaglet picking up Sorry, an eagle picking up an eaglet and carrying over the danger she sees. And David uses these images very deliberately. They used, those two particular images are used in exactly that order in Deuteronomy 32. So Moses uses these images. He's borrowing from Moses. Moses uses these when he remembers at the end of his life all that he had experienced in Egypt, how God had guarded and cared for him. And that was over a course of 40 years. It wasn't easy. There was opposition, resistance, there was injustice. They were kept in slavery and they ought not to have been. Moses himself struggled with self-doubt, but he remembers over that time how God cared for him and lifted him up. It's a reminder here to remember when we face injustice that God hasn't ceased to love us. Our present experience is difficult. It may be incredibly difficult. It's why the cross that we saw on the kids' craft is such a powerful image, that image of the stained glass window, friends having a meal with Christ. is such a powerful image. It reminds us that Jesus does love us. We call out to him not just because he is just, but because he loves us. He wants to uphold our causes. Our causes. So we call out, we cry out for justice. We know God cares about it. But so often the hard thing is we don't know if we'll receive justice in this life. Will it actually happen? Will our prayer be effective? David seems to be quite confident, but he also has a perspective that gives him a better view of the situation. He understands it might not happen in this life. He notes a very significant difference between how he lives and sees things in this world and how his enemies do. He asked that God would rise up, confront them, bring them down. Verse 13, with your sword rescue me. Verse 14, what you have, may what you have stored up for the wicked fill their bellies. May their children gorge themselves on it and may there be leftovers for their little ones. It's pretty harsh, isn't it? But we don't know what that situation was like. And what we do know is God wants us to give our emotions to him. And what we do know is this means David doesn't take the law into his own hands. He gives it to God to take care of. That's helpful, isn't it? Moses took the law into his own hands and killed an Egyptian. It didn't work out well. He learnt to pray. We should pray for our enemies and those who persecute us. But sometimes they will not do what is right and just. Sometimes they will never turn. And God will bring justice. If not in this life, then the next. That's what David knows. Verse 14 is really important. They are of those of this world whose reward is in this life. We can look at those who have so much power, strength and wealth. Think, how is that fair? What David sees and what we should see is, well, they're not going to have that for all time. It's going to be taken away. It will be taken away. The most they can hope for is what they have in this life if they do not turn to Christ. It's going to be called to account. Ecclesiastes, we remember for last year, God sees all and will call all to account. Sometimes in this world, sometimes 
not. In fact, we should be cautious if we think we're well-resourced and going well. It can be something that blinds us. David is sure God will bring victory, sorry, will bring vindication in time. It might happen tomorrow, but it may not happen to another time. Remember, he's got that in mind. They're, they're rewarders in this life when he says the last verse. As for me, I'll be vindicated and I will see your face. When I will awake, when I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. David knows to quote Colin Buchanan, the greatest treasure in the whole wide world is peace with God. I don't think he's saying he'll wake up the next day and God will immediately have enacted justice. He might. And if we read verse 18, we'll see that at times he does. He does enact, just, enact justice. Psalm 18 is a celebration of seeing that happen. But it might come at a later time. And in the context of those whose reward in this life, David knows his reward will come in time. There will be justice in the end. And so we should pray. We should pray that it would happen today, but we should also pray that knowing that sometimes it won't. We cry out for justice knowing God will just act justly, but in his time. I want to finish with uh, an encouraging example of someone who has sought justice, someone who looked for it and acted in it because of his faith, and that is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I've been reading his prison poems lately. He wrote these from the Nazi prisoner of war camp that he found himself in. Uh, he was a German citizen. And like many around him, two days after Hitler became chancellor, he denounced Hitler's leadership from the very start. He could act justly. Why? I suspect because he knew God would bring justice in his time. He continued to oppose Nazi policies and even was found in a plot to overthrow the government for which he was arrested by the Gestapo and imprisoned. He'd just become engaged to be married. It was 1943. What did he do in prison? He counselled and pastored his fellow prisoners and continued to write. Like David, he rose above it, but I suspect not because he had the inner will and strength, but because he asked God to help him. God gave him grace to rise above it. He never got to see his country that he loved restored. Though we have. Uh, one of my memories of being a very young person was seeing that Berlin Wall come down, which was much, much later. <laughs> Yet at his hanging at the age of 39, he didn't even see the end of the war. He said this in faith. This is the end. For me, the beginning of life. In prayer, we not only cry out for justice, knowing that God loves us and that he is just, but we find the strength to act and pray justly as he would have us do, as Christ did. When others around us are unjust, we know he will lift us up. Let's pray. Lord, vindicate us in Christ. Bring justice on earth and to those people, places and situations that are on our hearts today. Lord, we thank you that when we awake, we will see your face because of Jesus. May we be satisfied with seeing your likeness. May we be people who seek justice and act justly and pray for justice. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.